Welcome to season two of the Shopstool podcast, a podcast for woodworkers and the maker community in general. With Joey Chalk from King Post Timberworks, Brian Cush from Sawdust Bureau, and Robin Lewis from Robin Lewis Makes. Hi everyone, I hope you're all very well. This is episode 26, season two of the Shopstool podcast. So as always, I'm going to start by introducing my two co-hosts. Joey, how are you tonight? Yeah, really good, Robin. How are you? Not too bad, thanks. And Brian, how are you? Great, Robin. I am very well. How are you? That's good. Yeah, yeah. I'm very well too. Thank you. So my name is Robin Lewis. Welcome to the show, everyone. Now, tonight feels like we're in the presence of a kind of royalty. And I'm not blowing that out of proportion. Um, Going through the films (laughs) that this prop maker has worked on, I constantly found myself thinking, nah, no way. No way. I mean, this is an A-list Hollywood film that he's worked on. So uh, the brands that he's worked on are right up there. Toyota, Cadbury, Nintendo, Nissan, OPSM, and the list goes on. I cannot wait to get into the show to hear all about it. So please welcome Nick Pledge. How are you tonight? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, super excited. Super excited <laughs> to get into the show. Um, what we normally do is we start off with just a, a bit of a where you came from, so how you got from point A to here. Um, we'd love to hear how you got into the industry as well, like what, what prompted you. Yeah, no worries. Um, I started off, um, well, I guess my, my gateway drug to making, it was Lego. Um, Awesome. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. When, I mean, I grew up sort of in the middle of nowhere, so Adelaide Hills um, um, on, a, on a hobby farm, so there wasn't much to do, so I kept myself busy by making all, all manner of everything. Um, <clears throat> and fast forward a bit, and I completed a degree in industrial design, um, and sort of in the later years um, of industrial design, I'd be watching films and looking at miniatures and models and going, man, that looks like fun. And uh, kind of in the just the, um, I don't know, the, the suit and tie sort of um, office world didn't really appeal to me so much. And I found myself um, working on a kids' TV show after after finishing my degree and moving to Melbourne. And it kind of just went from there. I started off in stop-motion animation, so traditional puppet animation. Um, I don't know if you remember, there was a, a, a little animation on the ABC called Plasmo. Um, it's like pla- um, plasticine animation and puppets. and So that's sort of where I started off. And... Um, after I'd met all those people, the industry is quite small in Melbourne, so I just kept on getting calls. So I never went back to industrial design, really. I just kept on working in film and TV, and I'd meet more and more people, and then <clears throat> I'd start. I started doing on uh, working on ads, and um, yeah, just getting into film. Um, and at that yeah. early at that early stage with the that first kind of stop motion work what what were you doing are you actually modeling or are you just kind of a general hand on help on site on on kind of a set or uh i started off as a model maker like just pure right. model make like it was because it's animation it's all miniatures which is you know sort of my favorite thing to do um and 
and after a while, I um, this was in Melbourne, and then I got a call from a guy in Sydney called Nick Donkin. He had a, a company called Flying Gherkin, and they they <laughs> they did all the yoga commercials and the, uh, what else did they do? Schmackos and oh, yeah. uh, nice, all yeah. that sort of stuff. So I was going up to Sydney and. I ended up making the armatures, which uh, I don't know if you yep. know, that's the little ball and socket um, sort of skeletons yep. inside the puppets. So I, I did that. Um, I worked for him for about 10 years, actually, and then he moved uh, – well, he came down to Melbourne and moved back to Sydney, and then um, I sort of moved into feature films after that. Um, Can I just ask, Nick, when yeah. you when you first started, that was pre-3D printing, so you were making all these things completely by hand? Oh, it was pre-internet, I think. <laughs> <laughs> You're not that old. Oh, but yeah, <laughs> I am. <laughs> well, actually, maybe maybe it was a bit round the right that the same time as internet starting off. But um, yeah, there was no three D printing. There was it was all hand tools or sculpting or uh, you know finding something um, in a model kit that looked vaguely like what you wanted and then kit sticking bashing. things to it. Yeah, yeah, kit bashing. Yeah. Um, yes, and I um, I can't imagine having to work like that anymore. Like. Now right. I, I'll draw everything up in Rhino and print stuff and laser cut and CNC and so um, yeah things have come a long way. And is that do you, and so from an artist point of view is that you you find there's less um, input like of, of the uh, actual art from as opposed to like molding a piece of clay versus just laser cutting out exactly what you think it should be. Uh Maybe no. Well, no, or, or because you, just you don't can care always. You want to no. get a job done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as Jem said, Jem, uh, Jem said last week, a bit of column A, a bit of column B. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Usually, I've got three jobs going, and yeah. I, you know, I'll sit up. At, I've got an eight-year-old, so I come home and get him into bed, and then I'll sit up and cad everything up. Come in. Put on prints, put on, get the laser going, get the CNC going, and then I, uh, awesome. you know, the robots do all that, and I do the assembly and painting, and so it's still it's still quite artistic in yeah. ways. Um, the good thing is I know that everything's going to fit together, and you know I can deliver on time basically. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, just going going back to your um, you were talking about your first role, your first job. I'm interested to hear how you got that. You know, was that sort of an ad in the paper? Uh, no, I just, um, this was in Yellow Pages days, so I mm. just went through film production, um, just all the listings, and I basically just rang everybody. <laughs> right. And, um, and then I went and saw a few people, and they turned out to be the right people. And they were, and then... Um, they would. They'd go. Oh, I've heard of this job. Um, there's this guy, Nick. Do you want to get him in? And you know, it's all sort of word of mouth, or word just mouth. you know, mm. hitting the pavement and going. You know, I'm here. Have you got anything? And that's why I'm always fascinated by this because a lot of the, a lot of people who are coming up, if when you talk to them, they say, "I would, I would love to put all my heart and soul into this." but I just can't get that foot in the door. And so it's really interesting to hear, as you say, it's literally just ringing people up. 
Yeah, you just have to bug people till they crack. That's mm, right. that's what I tell people who are like they ring me and say, you know, can I have a job? And I'm like, just keep ringing me. Just keep. Otherwise, like, you know, in a month I'll have forgotten that you rang me. But yeah. if you ring me every week, um, sooner or later I'm going to have a job. And I go, all right. Well, this guy won't shut up. So, um, you know, come on in. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, the other way. I mean, it, things have come along a bit more now. Um, like there's all sorts of um, online you know, directories and, you know, Film Victoria and the production book. And so you could start ringing art directors and production designers and, you know, go to the source pretty much, whereas I was coming at it from the periphery more of, you know, just the you know people more in my sort of position now. Hmm. Do you find Melbourne is a, a good centre to work? Like when you're working in TV and film, is the Victorian Arts Council, like, like, did you find that there's a lot of major work that you're getting through being based in Melbourne as opposed to being based in other cities in Australia? Um, yeah, Melbourne's doing all right. Um, Queensland seems to be, well, it's Queensland and Sydney that are generally kicking goals. Okay. Um, uh, and that's to do with, you know, tax incentives and sometimes it's to do with locations, um, but uh, Melbourne in is general they, is pretty is good. They tend to get the more glitzy, sort of high budget films, and we tend to get the more art house ones. Or um, I'm trying to think of the no, films that I, that I know that you've worked on. Uh, I think you know Queensland and Sydney have got bigger studios. So you know, if you tried to film Pirates of the Caribbean in Melbourne. You know, you don't have all the locations that you've got in Queensland for the tropical, you know, all that business. Um, Sydney's just got a massive studio and can pump out huge productions. Melbourne, they're building a new soundstage, but it's still um, pretty tiny in comparison to a lot of, you know, other countries and cities and whatnot. But... um, I know that um, where the wild things are shot in Melbourne because of the they wanted to shoot on a sort of coastlines and in our forests, which uh, the forests are quite foreign looking to you know right. to American audiences. Like they don't mm-hmm. know the trees and they don't know the the coastlines, and it it looks like this far away you know place. And that was <clears throat> it was kind of based on locations for that film. Um, that is just that is one of my favourite films. Um, I've, can you talk us through the process of how something like that gets put together? Like, so you worked on the set design and the um, and all I, the props in the movie. I yeah, I started off as a concept model maker, which is I was in the office for I was in the office with Spike Jones, the director, um, KK Barrett was the production designer and I meant to look up what other films he's done but he's he's done quite a lot of stuff um and so they would sort of have reference that they would give to a a concept artist and he would like photoshop up all this stuff and then he'd give that to me and go put it you know make this 3d and then I would model it up and then they'd look at it and go, ah, oh, no, nah, that's too small, that's too big. This, you know, this camera angle won't work. Can you make this bit pull out so we can get a camera in there? And so they basically do all their homework first before they build a, you know, two hundred thousand dollar set. 
they make a little, you know, cardboard or, you know, foam core and cardboard and plasticine sort of mock-up. Um, and so I did that for five weeks and... Um, I've never really worked in an office before. It's so quiet. I don't know if you. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's bizarre. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was pretty happy to get into the workshop. Um, so, and then I, I, I moved into the model making department or props. And uh, we started off making um, Carol's model city. Um, Carol's one of the, the wild things that um, he, sorry, builds a, like a crazy sort of stick city um and so they were basically just lumps of polystyrene hot wired and then we sat there for i can't remember how long probably months two months maybe sticking sticks on these things one at a time (laughs) and and, uh yeah and then uh what was after that um, well, the, the highlight for me was making Max's crown and scepter. That oh, was awesome. that was pretty special. Um, but the other thing we made was a miniature. Well, actually, it was it was more of a bigature because it was the the fort. You know, the big round ball. Yeah. And that was it was a miniature, but it was three and a half meters in diameter, and it was you know it was a steel frame and then a fiberglass shell, and then we cast out all these latex little panels of sticks so we you know made up a little sort of tessellated stick pattern um did all these uh what was it plaster molds and then we were pouring latex into these and we must have poured i don't know maybe a thousand of them or something and stuck (laughs) these all over the outside and inside of this ball and then and then we had to dress that with more sticks and the day we finished it, they came and looked at it and went, ah, oh, no, we can't really shoot this. So they, <laughs> so that was like three months. <laughs> oh, they, my God. And they took it over to the studio and they scanned it into the computer as oh a 3D model. And then it wouldn't fit in a, um, a shipping container to take back to the state. So they took it out the back and squashed it with a front-end loader and threw it in the skip. <laughs> yes. We've talked about this in the past, about how... <laughs> Prop making is such a double-edged sword because you just destroy things at the end of it. Uh, oh, I, yeah. When I first started, I would be horrified. Like I just couldn't. I was so precious about everything. Yeah. I was horrified at what would happen. But now I don't even think twice about it. I mean, I've been doing this for twenty-five years. So I mean, some of my stuff will end up on someone's desk or you know on a shelf or in a company's you know storeroom or something like that but i'd say like 80 percent of my stuff ends up in a skip i know that sounds crazy but that's sort of what happens is there not some some value to that from the you know especially for something like where the wild things are because it's such a high budget film those props must be worth something now uh they come at it from the point of view that they don't want anyone else to make money off of it so yeah, they'd rather like destroy issue, it. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So, oh, you know, we were like, right, why you. don't you give it to a kindergarten? And, but they're like, no, yeah. you know, this is our intellectual property. Um, yeah. yeah. We'd rather destroy it. And I imagine, Which, too, I, in, in, <laughs> wow. I imagine in that particular case as well, there's issues with, like, rights, because because it's been made from a book. Um, there's all sorts of legal things where the filmmakers probably only have rights, you know, for the 
to make stuff for the film and then it probably has to be destroyed anyway like yeah well you, it's you, either yeah archived or destroyed basically yeah can we um, talk a, can we talk a little bit about how um, like what is your work like you you are a self-employed you're a freelancer like um, or do you get employed sometimes for long-term projects and then are you like in and out of employment uh, how does that work um, for the first 15 years I was freelance so I'd just go and work at other people's places or I'd go and go to a film and you know be on site for I don't know three or four months or at a time and then go to the next job and I think it was um, the birth of my son that I went I can't go and do 50 hour weeks or just you know some shoots are like you know 15 16 hour days and yeah. you just don't get to see your family so I was like how do I get around this and I just went oh I'll just set up and stay put so right now now I just work nine to five and people will come to me and I you know if I need to split at three I can and yeah. or I can go back and work till midnight or it just means you know I've got some freedom but I can still you know get things done and you know, so you kind, of, you kind of worked yourself into uh, a position with uh, enough authority to just say, look, I can do whatever you want, but I'm going to do it on my terms. Uh, pretty, yeah, yeah, almost. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. That's what everyone yeah. is really dreaming to do. Like, I think uh, almost all makers would want to be in that position. Yeah, I couldn't go back. I don't no. think I could go back. It's, yeah... Now I've now I've got myself set up and I'm sort of got all my little robots, my robot army to help me, so I can yep. sort of um, I can put on prints and then go home and go to bed and get up in the morning and things are ready and it's just a different way of working than um, you know the regimented sort of freelance. Well, it's not really regimented; it's kind of all over the place <laughs> and like working a in a circus, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Somehow I have more freedom. And so you're mostly one-man band? Uh, mostly. At the moment, I did have sort of three regulars, and they all – I couldn't give them enough work to keep them going, so they yeah. all went off and worked somewhere else. Um, but now I'm slowly getting them back because, you know, everyone's out of a job right now, so yep. mm. um, it's actually worked out quite well for me. Hmm. Yes. Good. So you're you're now based in um, in Brunswick, but can you talk us through your first workshop? Like I obviously know you through being a neighbour at Ironside Studios, which we talked to Gem about last week. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was our landlord, but w was that your first workshop, or did you work out of a uh, back shed or something? Or? I, yeah, I've had you know various sheds at different houses that I'd set up, and you know it's always you know freezing and leaky yeah. and tiny and. And so I just went, oh, I've got to find somewhere. And um, I can't remember how I ended up finding that. But, yeah, that was 2010, I think, was Ironside. Um, and that was that was such a good place to land, like, amongst all those people and sort of being um, uh, just sort of G'd up by watching everyone else do what they were doing and seeing like watching um like butter just 
sort of skyrocket. I mean, I've, I listened to the podcast last week and then he said, you know, it was all by chance or whatever, but no. he works he works his bum off, so <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think it was by chance. But, um, yeah, that was a really great space. And then one day I saw this little sign on a door saying Sawdust Bureau and I was like, oh, what's, what's that all about? <laughs> and, uh, and now look at you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It feels like a, a lifetime ago. Yeah, it does. Um, and it was when you moved into Ironside. That's when you first started getting CNCs and laser cutters and things. Before then, you'd mainly done uh, it by hand, like, or had you yeah. got some of the early three D printers? No, it was a couple of years in at Ironside okay. that I got my first printer, and it kind of it kind of flipped my wig. I couldn't believe that I could think of something and then draw it in the computer and it would pop out mm. and it would be dimensionally accurate and I could put, you know, fit things together and, yeah, really change the way I thought about everything, actually. that um, And then not too much later, I got the laser cutter, which, again, just it just makes everything so easy. You can sort of palm, you just have one a job and then palm little bits off to different machines and still be working at the same time. It was kind of, yeah, it was a eureka moment, you know, finding the or finding out about these things. Um, and then the next, the next big jump was getting my high res three um, D printers, the resin um, SLA right. printers. Yeah. And the first thing I printed out on one of those was this tiny little boat um, called a Benchy, which people might or may or may not have heard of. Yeah, um, I've heard of this. That's like a, it's a real yeah. um, standard. How well yeah, you yeah, can print it out. Yeah, yeah. So you print that out, and you can tell um, if something's lacking or something's not quite working right, or your settings aren't quite right. It's a real sort of um, standard um, for printing. And I, I printed this boat out, and it was absolutely immaculate. And it was tiny. It was like I don't know what twenty mil long. And I carried it around with me for a day, just like looking at it, going, "Oh my god, what." This is like next <laughs> level. Possible. Like I can do anything. What, I can. I what can magic am I channeling to do this? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It was just voodoo, and I just went, <laughs> "Wow, this is amazing." Um, yeah. So that's. I mean, and Ironside. I was still eight years away from that, maybe. Yeah, but yeah, Ironside was great. Ironside was really. It was a really good atmosphere, and the people were awesome. And um, so. Recently, I've been having to, this week certainly. I've been having to deal working closely with structural engineers on a set of spiral stairs that I'm going to be building, and it's been pretty intriguing. Just going backwards and forwards, saying this is what I want, and then the engineers saying, "Well, you can't do it quite like that. You can do it like this," um, and we're going backwards and forwards. And so you're obviously given uh, something to make. And you say, right, I've got an idea of how to make it. Do you have issues where there might be safety on set issues and just general strength issues? And, and you've got to kind of work alongside with a, a completely different set of skills, like someone who's got structural engineering skills and to tell you, like, you can't actually do this. Or if you do, we're going to have to, like, reinvent the wheel or, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> uh, it's usually me reinventing the wheel, but um, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, occasionally, like a lot of the stuff that I do, 
um, if it gets to an engineering point, then I go, ah, it's a bit, you know, I'm mostly sort of small to medium-sized things, and if you need an engineer to sign off of it, generally I'm like, that's not really my bag. But Right. Excuse me. Um, But there have been jobs. Um, I did an interactive model of Singapore um, for a company called Airbag, and they sent in their... um, Yes, he's an electronic engineer. He's a technologist, or I forget what his right. actual title was, but he's a um, he's an absolute gun. So he was catting things up for me. He was doing all the um, LED wiring, all the you know circuit boards and everything like that. And so we were sort of working together. And he'd go, "Oh, can I do this here?" And I'm like, "No, because I'm going to drill a hole through your board, right. or I'm going to." So there are times where I have to collaborate, and I actually, you know, if it if it works, it's awesome. It's really mm. good. Um, so I can't think of a time where it hasn't worked. Um, sometimes working on the feature films, you'd be, you know, there'd be some departmental sort of argy bargy, like, right, you know, um, uh, you know, art department maybe isn't held in such high regard by maybe other departments (laughs) and so you know we could be a pain in the bum for the construction or something or 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 the welders well that was one thing on the where the wild things are um our props workshop was right next to the metalworking workshop which was basically just a three mil ply wall so they'd be on the other side dropping lumps of steel on the ground <laughs> with he- with earmuffs on, and we'd be just going, "Ah, oh! <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying to stick funny. sticks to a piece of foam." Like, yeah, it's you know. <laughs> did, did you ever uh, find that you had a certain idea that you wanted to take it in terms of a vision, and you were given that 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 freedom to run with it, or is it very much? Uh, the director or the art director or whoever it is says, this is what I want and that is what you do in the story. Uh, yeah, it's, oh, well, there's, yeah, there's quite a spectrum. Like there's some people that will come and go, um, I don't really know what I want. Can you just do it for me? And I'll go, <laughs> sure. And then, you know, quite a big chunk of it is, um, here's a drawing or here's a concept. Can you make this? And there might be a bit of back and forth, you know, because it goes from 2D to 3D, you know, things, obviously, problems or issues arise or whatever. And then and then there's some people who don't really know what they want until they see what they don't want. So you end up chasing your tail for, you know, a week till they see something that appeals to them. And, hmm. um, you know, I... It can be frustrating, but most of the time it's, you know, I I don't mind standing back and being told what they want and I don't mind, you know, diving in and, 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 you know, designing stuff because it's sort of, you know, design is my, ultimately my background. It's sort of what I refer to myself as, as a designer, I guess, mostly. Um, But uh, Is it generally accepted that, Obviously, you say you have to make a prop. Let's say, I don't know, a crown. Um, everyone knows that there's going to be a crown in the movie. You have to make the crown. The director tells you, this is pretty much what I want. 
you make it and then the director says you know what I don't like it can we do something else I mean who is that generally accepted that that he's going to be paying you extra for remaking it again uh it's a like if you're working on a film you're on the books so you're just being paid an hour like a weekly wage so they can rate or something uh, I can't actually remember. I think it was a weekly wage. Right. Um, so, you know, the amount of times that people go, matter. here, make these things. Ah, oh, no, I don't like it. Make this thing. Oh, I don't like it. Oh, it's been cut from the script. <laughs> you know. Um, right. Uh, one example is, yeah, yeah, uh, Ghost Rider. Um, I was making these crystal skulls and they were like... Um, they were like a you know the size of yeah. a normal skull, skull. and um, they were meant to have some souls or I can't quite remember anyway it got got cut but had souls inside these skulls so I was molding and casting all these skulls out of clear what was it polyester resin or something like that yeah and I did about forty of them I think it was about <laughs> three months and. Uh, and after that, they're like, ah, oh, no, we don't want that anymore. We're going to make it a scroll that they find inside a shovel. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so, oh, Jesus. I, and, um, and the amount, if I had a dollar for every time that's happened, I probably wouldn't have to work anymore. Like it's, it's quite, uh, after a while, it's quite amusing. Like it's funny just watching this stuff play out. Right. Um, can you kind of pick it now? Can you kind of pick the, the like, you're like, uh, oh, I'm going to be redoing this one? <laughs> uh, sometimes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'm making things just going, this This is going to, like, this is going to get destroyed in the first five minutes. And I'll right. try and say, let's make a different version so it doesn't, but, you know, sometimes that doesn't, you know, people don't want to listen. And <clears throat> So you made, <laughs> um, you made this giant tank for the yeah, uh, Pacific. Yeah, I was just about to ask oh, you for that. the Pacific. Um, yeah. And so I, I had a whole bunch of questions about, like, you know, what's it made of? How long did it take? And then did you actually have to go in wherever it was shot? Was it in Australia or in the islands? It, it went up to far north Queensland. So right. um, that was, yeah, that was for the Pacific, you know, obviously the um, Pacific Theatre of War in World War II. Um, and it was the Spielberg. Well, it was the follow-on from Band of Brothers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was huge. That was like a two hundred million dollar budget. Like no, yeah. M- Melbourne. I don't know if even Australia had seen anything that big before. And so there was, you know, there was people everywhere. It was huge. There was bits of boats being built everywhere, and um, so we ended up having to make um, these light, well, lightweight in inverted commas, um, landing vehicles. And um, we made we made one that was it was an LVT one that, that I think that was maybe a, a leftover from World War One. Okay. Um, and that was just a prop that was to be blown up. Um, and then we made some LVT fours. We made two of them, and they were they were all it was an aluminium frame clad in I think aluminium sheet. Or maybe, yeah, no, it would have been all TIG together. And then all the props, um, when I say props, all the dressings, 
um, were it was mostly all handmade or machined stuff that we would then mould and cast multiples of. Um, and there was some crazy guys somewhere in Victoria who had like this massive lot with all these wartime vehicles and they had one of these things and they brought it into the studios so we could measure it up and we had like I don't know three hours to measure this thing to then make it and so we basically made this thing from photos and a few hand hand doodles and uh and uh and there was some um, military guy there so we we're asking him questions about you know how things worked and where people sat and that was all pretty interesting, and then, um, and so yeah, we got to got going, and um, <clears throat> the Steelies welded up the frame and clad it, and then we were making all the bits and pieces, and I somehow ended up being um, set to work on all the tank track, yeah. which was um, some of the bits we got to mould but the rest we made by hand and then mould and cast. And it was basically all cast, resin, working tank track. Oh, wow. Working tank track? Yeah, it all moved. I've still got about a metre of it in my workshop above my spray booth, just to remind me of that war is hell. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, um, Because I made... I think I made about 50 metres of this stuff and it must have been, Ooh. I don't know how many kilos of resin. It must have, I don't know, 20 grand's worth of resin maybe in all this in all this tank track. And is that a hard, like hard plastic resin or like a rubberized? Yeah, it's, no, no, it's polyurethane, like a hard resin. Jeez. It probably would have made more sense to make it out of uh, something a little less brittle because, yeah. um, <laughs> uh so we, we finished those and they put them on a truck and drove them up to far north Queensland. And then special effects cut them cut them to pieces and blew them up and did all this, <laughs> all this stuff to them, um, which looks so awesome. And the, there's a picture on your Instagram and one of them's just like sitting underwater and it's like just it's been, just been dropped on a beach. Uh, yeah, that's the LVT1, the little grey, right. gray, was it blue, light blue, I think. Yeah. So that was just for blowing up. Right. Um, and then after they'd, you know, torched the other two, they <laughs> they put them on a truck, but they, I don't know who packed them, but they didn't do it very well. And so they drove them back down to Melbourne for these other scenes, but they gradually disintegrated on the back of the truck through all the vibrations. And so all these, <laughs> they lost like half of both of these landing vehicles <laughs> oh, no. all the way down, back down to Melbourne and so they got there, and we had to rebuild them, and I had to do even more track. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> this is bonkers. Like, you know, it's a huge uh, – I, I can't imagine being in control of a motion picture. Like, it would be frightening, like, all the things you'd have to have your finger on to keep track of. So, you know, silly things happen, and that was one of them. Um, but we rebuilt them, and they got – um, reshot for uh, I don't have you seen the Pacific? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a shot where they're all they're on the ship and they're coming down into like the belly of the ship where they're getting onto these landing vehicles and then the front of the ship opens like a, like yeah. a 
you know, the um, like a cupboard, like cupboard doors, really, and they all kind of yeah. come out the front of the ship. Well, that was for that shot. But we huh. we only had two two of them, I think, and in the shot there's like eight of them. So they'd bring the people in and they'd get in the back and then they'd all get out again and we'd like move move it a bit and then they'd do another shot of everyone getting in and then they would comp it all together so there's like you know right. 10 landing vehicles with all these guys <clears> getting in and <clears throat> so seeing that sort of stuff on that sort of scale is pretty you know, really pretty cool. eye-opening so you have to I be re- there for the shooting of some of that as like uh, the guy who made it you have to be there to fix it if it all goes to crap or Sometimes it depends what it is. Sometimes, like there's you know standby props people who that's generally their job for you know smaller props and stuff like that. So you know hand props. If something if a strap breaks off of something, they can glue it on or wire it on or whatever. Um, but um, I think we were there just purely to move them and make sure that the. Because to get the tracks onto those things, we actually had to, because they weighed so much, We it was probably like putting on real tank track. You had to <laughs> get it on there, and then you had to, like, winch it close enough, the two right. ends close enough to get some pins in it, something. I can't quite remember exactly how they were joined together. So it was more for that sort of stuff. Um, occasionally, you know, if I've made something specialist, like a, you know, uh, I just finished a little miniature truck shoot, and you know, because I made it, I know what's what's likely to to get broken or fail, or you know, something might happen to it. So if I'm not there, then people are just like, I have no idea what to do to this thing. So in that case, yeah, I'm I'm on set, and um, other props, you know, I just hand them over, and the the standby will, you know. He might come in, and or he or she might come in, I should say, um, and run through it and say, "What what do I need to know?" But uh, it sort of varies, I guess. Um, I kind of prefer to be in my workshop rather than on set because on set that's where you're basically just waiting for something to go wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You don't (laughs) want to have to work because it means it's broken. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's not as much fun as it sounds like. (laughs) Some of the stuff you did for um, Predestination, I don't know whether you guys have seen Predestination. It's like a sort of a Matrix-y sci-fi thing that was shot in Melbourne, and it was actually shot in the building that Ironside Studios was located in. Oh, cool. Um, It was an Ethan Hawke movie, was it? Ethan Hawke? Yeah, yeah. Um, And Nick did some amazing stuff with it. Can you talk us through how you got onto that job? Was that just through the standard Um, Victorian film kind of prop industry thing? uh, It's just, you know, um, Ghost Rider was my first big film. Oh, actually, no, I tell you, I worked on like a Z-grade monster film in in Queensland called um, Gargantua, which... um, you can be- it's so bad you can barely even find a trace of it on the internet now. Ghost Rider, I basically met, you know, a lot of a lot of the crew, and there's not a lot of prop makers in Australia because you know the industry is relatively smaller compared to like the UK or the US. Um, and so it's kind of like, oh, we need some props. Oh, who do we get? Oh, Nick's around, and I actually did that job out of Ironside. 
and right. then you'd walk out the front door and there they're uh, I know maybe that was another film where they were dropping a car onto or dropping someone onto a car out the front of the studio. Oh, I must have I missed remember. that. Because <laughs> I that did come laneway, out. I did come out the front into the laneway once, and Ethan Hawke was just sitting on the step smoking a cigarette. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that I think I don't think there's I don't think there's too many films that came to Melbourne that didn't use that laneway because it just looks yeah. it's so interesting looking. Um. You can it can look like the 1920s, or it can just look like a dystopian whatever. It depends how they dress it, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was I loved when I read that script. I was like, oh, this is awesome! Like it's really, I I just loved it. I thought it was very clever. Um, and but the quality of the art direction as well, like the actual design side of things, is I think it's right up there. Like it's really fascinating yeah. stuff. Yeah, the some of the locations they chose, like there's um, what's that building? I think it's in North Melbourne, or it's like a university, or maybe it's Carlton. There's a university building, and it's got all these round windows all over it. Yeah, um, the Sean, they used Sean that RMIT building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Um, on the outside, it's amazing. On the inside, it's amazing. Like that's where they shot all those virtual reality helmet um, shots. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there was there was a whole bunch of props. I did all the um, the violin cases. That was their time machine. So it had like a tumbler on it, and they'd choose their time, and then you know press a button. Or I can't remember exactly, and then they'd <coughs> whip into the next um, time. Oh, actually, they had some watches as well, which I worked on. So they could tell by their watch where they were, and they were trying to use the tumblers on the um, on the violin case to try and get there. Um, I had to make a fake it's well, bomb. It's well worth the... a watch for anybody that uh, is into their sci-fi movies. It's it's a really clever film. Yeah, I'm not sure how well it did, but I just thought it was amazing. I thought it was such mm. a good film. Um, and I made the, the virtual reality helmets, which... Um, actually, that was my first. I didn't do the 3D printing, but the first um, helmet that came to me that I molded and cast was a 3D print. And I was like, oh, wow, you can do this with 3D printers. That's interesting. Um, and so I molded and cast all those. Um, so now, if, you were, now if you were doing that job, so these are quite big helmets, would they have been made in multiple parts on a 3D printer, assembled, uh, cast, and then you're producing replicas that way or not yeah i think they were in they were in four pieces maybe or maybe two pieces right. so they must have been done on a fairly large machine whereas i'd have to break them into i don't know maybe four or eight pieces but i'd still do it that way like the, um okay so the, the technology hasn't changed that much that you would now just have a huge 3d printer <coughs> where you could just run them off as as individuals uh, rather than do the casting well, and I, I don't have one. Well, not not yet. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. uh, I think they got it done at a print bureau, so they've probably got large, you know, larger print bed machines um, that they can keep running, you know, twenty four hours a day. So that you know, if they cost forty grand, then it's you know, they'll kind of make sense. Um, but. Uh, Sorry, now I've forgotten what the question was. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there was one. We were just talking. <laughs> uh, so, Nick, um, 
you, you've obviously got this crazy set of skills that you've you know just obtained during your 20 some years of doing crazy stuff um is there like if some if some kid coming through school wants to get into what you're doing is there like a path an official qualification path for this industry uh, or is it just, just just learn CAD learn 3D printing learn how to glue bits of wood together and, and then just bring some of these skills to someone and, and bug them until they give you a job <laughs> <laughs> uh, well yeah I mean yeah there are there are um, courses like I've had interns from uh, where were they from VCA um, there was uh, production the one guy from production design course and he he knew CAD and he knew 3d printing and he you know was a gun illustrator and um, in the f- in the four uh, f- maybe it was four weeks eight weeks he taught me so much um, in that time like I was like man this guy he's gonna be the next guy this right. um, he's he's really killing it um, what was, was it that what was it that he was like more on the technical like um, technology side of like what <clears throat> softwares can do or or another part of the job? Uh, it was yeah, it was mostly the the technology. It was you know three D modeling packages and three D right. print. He already had his head around three D printing. Um, I didn't really have to guide him too much um, with that with that in particular but with construction sort of stuff he didn't he maybe didn't know so much right but um i've had other interns from it was maybe it was theater props like there are courses i mean i I did industrial design which is um a good basis for a, a lot of different directions like you learn um well, you learn, you know, thinking in three dimensions. You can learn drawing, model making. Um, you know, you touch on engineering. You touch on um, fine art. It's, you know, there's, it's, it's massive. Or we did photography. What else did we do? Um, so, like, you can shoot off in all different directions. So that's actually quite a good, you know, base um, mm. course to do. It's, it's maybe not necessary. Right. Um. um yeah, you can just get good at, you know, yeah, get a 3D printer, learn some software, learn how to use, you know, basic tools and machinery. Um, and if, if you know, if you've got enough um, get up and go and um, willingness to learn, I reckon, um, yeah, and you bug the hell out of someone, <laughs> you know, you can... You can get on onto a film as a as a junior prop maker, and you know you yeah. you'll learn moulding and casting. I, like I learnt so much on those films from the other people that were around me. Um, yeah, pretty much everywhere I've worked, I've just soaked. I've just watched what everyone else was doing and asked questions, and um, you know, I, I I left industrial design thinking, oh man, I know a lot now. But I was, you know, I was, how old was I? 20 or something. I didn't know anything. Um, We all thought we knew something. (laughs) (laughs) And and then gradually I was just like, oh, man, you know, there's so much else out there. And um, so there's there's all different ways of 
getting here. Um, I mean, I'm happy to, for people to contact me and ask me questions and, you know, show me their work and, or, you know, folio or whatever. I, you know, I'm happy to That's try cool. and support yeah. other people who are trying to, you know, do what I'm doing. That's, um, <clears throat> lots of people help me, so, you know, it seems back. only fair and right. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Can can I ask you? We cannot leave without talking about it. Your R two D two that you're making. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> leave leave uh, the best till last. Talk uh, us other, through that. Otherwise known as my midlife crisis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what a beautiful midlife crisis. Uh, yeah. Well, it was either that or train sets, and I was just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know why. I'd been thinking about it for a while, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll make a R2-D2. And then, it, when was it, two New Year's ago, I'm like, right, that's my New Year's resolution. I'm not <laughs> going to lose weight or stop drinking. I'm just going <laughs> to I'm, I'm going to make an astromech. And um, <laughs> if I'd known how much work and how difficult it was yeah. or it has been when I was about to start it, I probably wouldn't have done it. But um, now I'm up to my eyeballs and I can't stop. So, and um, what level of um, construction are you? Are, you, are all the panels going to be opening and closing, or, or are you stopping at a, uh, at a point of craziness? I've, I, I, I to to build one, you have to join this Astromech Builders Club, yeah. Um, yeah. and there's oh, there's thousands of people in there, and that you see photos all the time of these guys have made like they're pretty much real you know they're like a step away from being a real r2d2 yeah. like all they yeah. need is a brain and they'd yeah. um, be away but and they're all aluminium and perfect and um and you, and i look at them and go man that looks amazing and then um a little while ago i rewatched star wars just to <laughs> i can't remember why i was Doing, I was just like, oh, I'll have a have another look. And R two D two looks like a piece of crap. It's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in episode four. Uh, yeah, like there's panels hanging off, and he's all yeah. weird colours in places, and things aren't working, and he's looking in the wrong direction with his little hollow projector, yeah. and it's like, oh man, that's what he actually looked like. That's what we got excited about. <laughs> and um, I kind of yeah, and I. I'm still coming at him from a point of view that he's a it's a prop. Like yeah, right. um if you haven't worked in film, you probably wouldn't know that like there wasn't just one R2D2, there was yeah. probably 12 of them and yeah. one of them his arm came out and the other one yeah. uh, Kenny Baker was in and yeah. then there was one that you know fell over and one that so to try and make all of that into one robot is it's impressive and i've seen videos of people like all the panels open and the yeah. little radar thing comes out and um but i'm coming at it from a sort of a prop point of view and so he's the dome spins at the moment well we'll spin once i i've had it spinning which was a pretty <laughs> there was a watershed moment um well, what have you made yours from nick is it is it not aluminum <coughs> or it's plastic uh, or no, no, it's it's a timber frame. It's all um, styrene sheet for the skins. Uh, oh. The dome is ABS, um, like vacuum formed and yeah. five axis, 
laser cut, I think. Um, uh, the legs, uh, I mean, there's a bootload of 3D printed parts in it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's relatively lightweight. I've, I was aiming to make him move around, but then COVID kicked in. I was just about to press the button to buy all this stuff from the States. And then I went, ah, maybe I shouldn't spend all my money on robot, (laughs) (laughs) robot feet. Um, uh, so at the moment he's going to be stationary until maybe later on down the track. Yeah, you can but, upgrade them. It's an amazing, yeah. amazing thing. Like anybody should head over to uh, to your Instagram and yeah. check it out and see the progress on it. I saw that yeah. you got a, a like from Bob Cleggett from I Like to Make Stuff, and he's mm. always been a huge. Uh, has he? I'm not sure if he's he's, done... ma- he's building an R2 right now. Right. Yeah. I thought oh, is so. he? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, his one is all his one's all all aluminium and. All the uh, panels are on actuators. They're all opening and doing uh, the legs out like yeah. uh, eighth inch aluminium and like like you said, just way crazy. Craziness. I mean, I'd I'd love to do that, but uh, well, maybe a, oh, I don't know. Now that I've said that, I don't know whether I'd love to. Do that. <laughs> I don't want to go back there again, but uh, well, not yet. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, they they are amazing. They're completely over the top beautiful machines like they yeah. they really are and you see inside them and the electronics and everything that's going on and um and the control systems that people have built like um i think is it playstation controllers or something yeah. like these little hand these things you that's can, what you they're know. using now it's like a yeah some kind of a playstation remote or something yeah um, so you can have your hands in your pockets and yeah. be controlling it and no one can see what's got there and I think oh he's real um, <laughs> and you know they control the sound and all the panels and they have preset you know you know um, groupings of yeah. you know, actuators and sounds and stuff and it's like that's that's serious business I don't know whether the R2-D2s in the films are that no. good like <laughs> not that animated no. <laughs> no I mean you don't have five years to build an R2-D2 you've probably got yeah, six months maybe. Jeez. Do you ha- do you have an end date in sight? Is there? Well, it was May the fourth, um, <laughs> but 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 that's gone, come and gone. Uh, you know, yeah. I was I was homeschooling at that point, and right. yeah, um, yeah. No, there was other things to do. Um, uh, if I get it done by the end of the year, I'll be happy. But I've that's pretty good. Just in the last week i've just been like i gotta stop being so precious about this i'm just gonna build it smash it and 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 get it done and then if there's something that bugs me i'll fix it later but yeah i just need to you know i've got a i've got two i've got a um what's he called i've got a boba fett helmet that's hanging around a mandalorian helmet um, the probot from Empire that's half yeah. printed, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then I downloaded the Iron uh, STL of three uh, D model of the Iron Giant the other day, just going, oh, that'd be pretty cool. And I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> Setting myself up for failure. But uh, um, no, speaking all, of speaking of speaking of COVID, like, are you are you positive about the like the future of? 
film and TV and stuff or are you nervous uh, about how the next year is going to play out? Do you have any feelings like on the initial? Well, I mean, it, 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 it fell off a cliff for two months and then I just started getting phone calls and okay. it sort of wasn't the normal clients. I think there was a bunch of artists that had got grants and were looking for someone to help them build some stuff. So I've done a bit of art art stuff. Um, Neighbours was the first TV <laughs> show to start um, filming again because if they didn't start by June, I think, they'd run out of episodes. Oh, right. <laughs> so they were just like, all right, <laughs> this is happening. And um, People in the they, UK would have nothing to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they'd be, they'd be freaking out. Um, uh, and yeah, little by little other productions are starting to figure out how to get around this. Like everyone's got masks and face shields and everyone's split into different, um, areas. And if you've got a blue tag, you stay in the blue area and every prop that you hand to someone gets wiped first. And so it's sort of another level of Mm. intricacy on top of what is already generally a little bit difficult. Um, so that's kind of heartening. I mean, I've, I've got quite a few phone calls and just in the last week, so I'm kind of not freaking out. Well, I'm kind of used to jobs going away or like that's sort of my whole existence. This is just kind of like maybe a bigger version of what I'm used to. So, um, I've always got, you know, something squirreled away for for some time where it goes dry. Um, but it's probably the advantage of being a smaller independent maker as opposed to being Jim Henson Studios or something <laughs> like that uh, and just yeah. having the plug pulled on a $100 million <laughs> production. Yeah, that would be a frightening position to be in. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm kind of lucky in that respect i guess um you know i didn't really have any employees i yeah i think i'm actually in a good posse um one thing i have heard is that because they can't shoot in the uk or the us yet the productions might end up being shipped to australia so they Mm. they pack up they come here you know the actors all come in quarantine for two weeks and then off you go so it might actually weirdly um, work in our favour, okay. which is fingers crossed. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I, I've, these are rumours, and you never know what's actually going to happen. But yeah, yeah. All right, we are going to have to leave it there because we are exactly on one hour now. So I reckon we yep. might just call it a show there because we could no carry this conversation on for a lot, yeah. <laughs> a lot, lot longer. <laughs> so to everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, if you did, please go ahead and give it a rating on iTunes. That really does help us out. The Shop Store Podcast is available on iTunes and most other podcast apps. My name is Robin Lewis. Joey and Brian, thanks very much for hanging out. Nick, once again, thanks very much. Um, yeah, amazing story. Amazing, amazing story. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Nick. Cheers.